My guest today on the Positive Impact Podcast is Bill Gassiamis. This is the first of two episodes I conducted with Bill, so make sure you tune in for the second one coming up soon. In this episode, we'll find out how Bill sustained two strokes at the age of 37 and a third stroke three years later. His extraordinary story and how it unfolded and the incredible self-work he did on himself and research he did on brain trauma and how to recover from a brain injury. We'll also be finding out from Bill the amazing positive attitude he had towards his recovery and why this made such a difference to the speed and effectiveness at which he recovered from his third stroke. Right now is your time. Your time to make a difference. Your time to step up and into the life you always dreamed of. To confront your fears, make your move and unleash your true potential. The Positive Impacts Podcast with Joe Horton. Improve yourself, inspire others. Hey, I'm Joe Horton and I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of the Positive Impact Movement. Positive Impact is a growing movement of people just like you that want to leave behind a life of negativity and embrace positive change in their lives. Our movement is growing week on week from strength to strength in helping you, the listener, to fully embrace positivity in all its forms. We're beginning to help grow positive people, relationships and communities in a world today which has become increasingly negative and polarised. The episodes we have coming up in the next few weeks will cover topics where we could all improve. My guests will present you with some great free resources that you can take away and apply immediately to positively impact areas of your own life. Topics like developing yourself as an entrepreneur, learning, meditation and journaling. I will also be speaking with guests about some of the more difficult aspects that life throws at us. In covering these more difficult subjects, we will uncover how you can use them as opportunities for growth and discovery in your own life. We show you how to use life's adversities to grow, learn and inspire. The world's top experts I feature on Positive Impact are hand-picked to deliver maximum impact to you so you can make some amazing improvements to your own life and inspire others around you to do the same. We're interviewing psychologists, neurosurgeons, thought leaders, entrepreneurs and best-selling authors. Pretty much anyone that can help you, the listener, to be inspired and reach your true potential, we will bring on to the podcast. My dream is for Positive Impact to be the number one personal growth podcast in the world and invite you to join me on this journey. My guest today is Bill Gassiamis. Bill Gassiamis is the founder of the Recovery After Stroke community, which is a resource for stroke survivors and their carers. He also hosts the Recovery After Stroke podcast. He was inspired to set up the Recovery After Stroke community because of the lack of support for stroke survivors when they leave hospital and having had personal experience of three strokes himself. Today he provides personal coaching to stroke survivors and provides resources, support and a community to help those who have suffered a stroke. Bill had his first stroke at 37 years old, a brain hemorrhage, with a second brain hemorrhage a few weeks later. On the road to recovery, he then sustained a third stroke three years later, which necessitated surgery. However, in those intervening three years, 
Bill radically changed his lifestyle and life, which meant that when he had to undergo surgery, he was in the best shape he could possibly be. Not only is Bill's story astonishing in itself, but the fact that he recovered from brain surgery in half the time than his doctors predicted is testament to the extensive work Bill did on himself to change his mindset, belief systems and lifestyle. His curious nature and thirst for knowledge around the brain, mind-body connection and lifestyles of stroke victims makes him an excellent advocate for a more healthy, balanced and sustainable life. Bill, welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast. Joe, thanks so much for having me on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. There's very few people that I get on the podcast who have got an extraordinary story to tell, but you are certainly one of them. Um, Your journey has been nothing short of, uh, I don't know whether to use the word phenomenal or there's various other words I can use, but it's certainly been a journey, that's for sure. Where did this all start for you, Bill? Uh, look, it, um, it started when I was 37, what, so that we don't go back to z- z- year zero and I bore everybody who might be listening. <laughs> and, at, and at 37, what happened was I was just a regular guy. My dad, uh, I was a dad. Um, my two kids were about 12 and 16 then. Um, my, my wife was doing her thing. We um, we were working. We were busy. I had a business and I had a property maintenance company. Um, so I was doing, you know, six days a week. I was doing, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day, whatever uh, I needed to do. And um, I was going through uh, a lot of stress delivering work and uh, I wasn't necessarily eating well and I wasn't really doing much to look after myself other than going to the gym and running and, you know, sort of half-heartedly doing uh, physical exercise. And I just woke up one morning and I had a numb sensation in my toe. And uh, that, that was day one, you know, that, that was when it started. But you wouldn't have thought that a numb toe uh, becomes a seven-year-long, so far, you know, journey towards recovery and overcoming stroke. So after you'd woken up with this numb toe in your foot, what was your, did you just think, oh, I've got cramp or I've got, you know, I've slept awkwardly or what, what kind yeah. of happened? Was it, because uh, most, most guys would wake up with a numb foot and just thought, oh, I've just slept awkwardly on my foot or something like that. Most, that's, that is a guy thing to do, isn't it? You just don't, oh, my foot just hurts. <laughs> you nailed it, mate. It's exactly what I did. I just woke up put my boots on and um, just thought, oh, well, this is a bit weird and uh, went to work. It was a Friday. So, um, you know, we had, I had two crews running at the time. So I had to catch up with one crew at one site and catch up with another crew at another site. So that was all good. Nothing major. Um, as the days progressed, so Saturday, the numbness had spread a little further uh, into the foot. Uh, Sunday, it had got to the point where uh, it was up to about my ankle and um, I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't feel unwell or bad or anything at all. And when uh, I went to the gym to run my Sunday uh, five-kilometer run on the treadmill, 
I noticed that my foot wasn't landing properly on the treadmill mm. in that I didn't, I didn't, uh, I had to look down to make sure that it landed properly so I didn't fall off. Um, and as it continued, uh, I got through the run, no issues. And, and then as the process uh, continued to get worse, as the, as the numbers continued to get worse, by about the Tuesday, my wife says, you're walking strange. You know, you look a bit weird. What are you doing? And I said, look, I'm not, nothing wrong with me. You know, I'm all good. I didn't, I wasn't able to tell that I, my gait had changed to uh, support me because my leg wasn't able to feel the ground and send messages to the brain about where it was. Mm-hmm. So my gait had changed to support that. And I went to a chiropractor who I had on speed dial because I was always doing something silly at work, you know, lifting something too heavy or bending incorrectly or whatever. And I had, I had this guy on speed dial. I used to go to him and say, look, can you do me a favor, uh, sort my back out because I've got work to do. I've got to get back to work. And of course, you know, for 10 years, you know, he did that and he used to get me on the go. Um, but, in, but then as, the, um, as that session ended, the chiropractor said something that was telling, but, you know, again, didn't mean anything to me. And my history didn't raise any flags for him. And he said to me, look, whatever's happening, uh, it's probably early days, the numbness that you're noticing might be due to inflammation in one of your nerves or something, but it hasn't really shown up yet. So monitor it, whatever um, you do, just keep an eye on it. And if it changes, just contact me and let me know, you know, and we'll work it out. Mm. So I continue to go to work, the usual routine, nothing's changed. And by about the eighth day, my entire left side had gone numb and I couldn't feel my leg and I couldn't do the things that I normally did because it felt strange. I was completely aware of it. And I made another appointment to see the chiropractor, but I made sure to make the appointment uh, after work because I didn't want to miss out on going to work. (laughs) Um, And when I went to work, I went to climb a ladder and I noticed that my foot, my left foot wasn't, able to find the the bottom rung of the ladder and it kept slipping off Mm. so i've looked down and i've noticed that there was a little bit of water uh, underneath the ladder and i thought well it's probably because of the water you know my my foot or my shoes wet and it's slipping off so what i'll do is i look down i picked my leg up from my knee i physically put my leg onto the bottom rung of the ladder and i proceeded to climb the the ladder to do my task you know to paint that part of the door frame, you know? So we got that done and I got down, got through my day, got all our jobs done and we had a massive day that we were preparing on the Saturday. It was going to be 15 guys. We had to cut a hole in the ceiling, um, get some guys in there that needed to do some work. We had to replace the ceiling and paint the ceiling. I had electricians there. I had engineers there. I had all sorts of guys there. It was all one day and there was... Um, 15 people relying on me being there this Saturday. Mm. So um, after I went to work on the Friday, I went to the chiropractor at the end of the day and he goes, whatever, within a minute, he goes, whatever's wrong with your left side, it's not your back. So what I would suggest is you go to the hospital immediately. And I said to him, look, mate, I can't do that because you know what's going to happen. I'll go to the hospital. 
they'll say, uh, the doctor's not here or this guy's not there or we've got to run tests. And whatever they do, like they're going to keep me there the whole weekend and I won't be able to be to wor- at work tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm not going, you know, forget it. And he insisted and we kind of had an argument. And then I said, all right, fine, you know, leave it with me. So anyway, I left and went home. When I got home, my wife goes, what the chiropractor say? I said to her, look, he said um, that there's nothing wrong with my back. I should go to the hospital. And she said, why aren't you at the hospital? I said, well, you know, I've got work to do. I've got stuff to do tomorrow. You know, I can't be there, you know, um, today. I'll go on Monday, you know, it'll be fine. Anyhow, my wife, who's a bit smarter than me, <laughs> she said, um, look, why don't I take you to the hospital? They'll check you out. They'll tell you there's nothing wrong, and then you'll go to work tomorrow. I thought that was a great idea. So that's exactly what we did. <laughs> so we went to the hospital, and I went into triage. And you know, normally when you go to a hospital, you see a doctor. By the time you get to the doctor, you've been through all these other steps, and it takes ages. Well, I've gone to the window, and I said, look, they said, how you going? What's going on? I said, well, I'm all right, actually, but I just can't feel my left side. So I thought I'd get it checked out, you know. And, uh, well, then the red carpet treatment, I was almost, you know, what I would call immediately in uh, a CT scanner. And when they did the scan a little while later, a doctor came on to me and said, we found a shadow on your brain mm. and uh, you need to stay in because we need to do further tests. And that was the beginning of this epic seven-year journey so far. It's giveaway time, listeners. Right now, I'm working on a short ebook which I'll be giving away completely free in the next few weeks to everyone on my mailing list. But to get it, you have to be on my mailing list as it will be exclusive content not available elsewhere. So you don't miss out on grabbing yourself a copy. Go to my website, www.positive-impact-movement.com and subscribe to the mailing list. That way, as soon as it comes out, you'll grab yourself a copy immediately. Not only that, but in the next few months, you will receive more exclusive free content by being part of the Positive Impact Movement community. So don't miss out. Sign up today at www.positive-impact-movement.com. And so... Had you at that point was that the you'd had one stroke then, or you'd had two? Was you'd had one, and then it re- the test revealed you'd had a second one, which was at the point at which you're going to the hospital. Or so what happened was this particular bleed occurred due to a faulty blood vessel, mm-hmm. and the faulty blood vessel created uh, a slow leak mm-hmm. that, as more blood entered into the brain cavity, into the space in the brain, it um, switched off more and more neurons. Okay. So that was the first time. And then they, they did seven days of testing. Uh, I didn't get to go to work. I rang my, uh, my client crying the next day saying, oh, I can't go to work. Something <laughs> wrong in my brain. Um, they managed to handle it. So seven days later, uh, I went home and they said six weeks at home, no working, no nothing, just uh, rest up and at a six-week appointment, we'll, we'll do another scan and we'll test to see if it's continued to bleed or not. Mm. So then 
Um, it's what I did. And then around the six-week mark, I was just getting extremely bored, Joe. Um, you can imagine now, I'm not allowed to go to work, drive, do anything. I'm just at home. I know there's all these jobs going on. I'm booking them in. I'm getting my 2IC to go and run around and meet with the clients, all that kind of stuff. My dad's driving me to quotes and all that kind of stuff. So um, we were at this job one day because I told them to pick me up in the morning to just take me out of the house. And I'm watching them paint this wall and I started to notice myself just drift away to the left Mm -hmm. and I couldn't hold my body up Mm -hmm. and it just kept drifting away. And I started to notice my face go numb. So in order to rouse myself, I would, you know, slap myself and try and get myself um, awake or I don't know what. And at around about a couple of hours after I noticed this numbness, I said to the guys, like, you need to take me to the hospital mm-hmm. or to home because I'm not feeling great. Mm-hmm. So they uh, finished off their job. They took me to um, my house. And when I got to hospital, my wife dropped me off at the emergency entrance. And it's a 50-meter walk to triage. And we were chatting. Everything was fine. By the time I got to triage, um, they asked me what I was doing there, who I was, and I couldn't give them any information. And I don't remember uh, being able to communicate or anything like that. I've blacked out, and I just remember waking up a little while later, and um, there was this strange lady at the end of my bed going, you know, do you know who I am? And I said, no, I don't know who you are. And it was my wife. So that was the second episode, and what had happened is it bled again, and now the amount of blood in the head had gone from being about the size of a 10 cent piece to the size of a golf ball. Right. So all sorts of stuff had switched off now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so at that point it's beginning, it's affecting your speech and it's affecting having major effects, not just on your, on the physical side of things, but also just, just everything, your ability to recognize people, um, know what's going on around you. So that's uh, obviously we've been laughing at the typical bloke reaction to um, being ill for the last uh, a couple of minutes. But all jokes aside, that becomes then a quite a frightening situation to be in, and um, it must have been very frightening and kind of daunting and confusing. Stroke, you know, I, mm. what what goes through your head when you could. At what point did the nurses and uh, or your wife explain to you what was going on? It must have been uh, terrifying. Yeah. Look, it, it wasn't the first time, like six weeks earlier, no big deal. Ah, right. Mm. Bled in the brain, everyone sort of said it'll be okay. But it's true, when you can't remember your wife or you don't know your name and then you wake up and you don't know what's happened to you you know, it starts to sink in that, okay, there might be something more serious happening here. And the biggest issue was that it automatically impacted on my ability to um, work, drive, type an email, uh, finish a sentence, um, begin a sentence, um, you know, everything. So you're, um, you get seriously challenged and fatigue was a massive thing, which was really really bizarre. So extreme fatigue. So 
even if I wanted to be active or physical or anything, I couldn't do much more than get from, you know, the couch to the bathroom without being exhausted. Mm. Um, so you start to, I started to worry about my longevity. I started to worry about, you know, my family. Um, I wasn't so concerned about me, but I was more concerned about, you know, I, I realized I had become mortal. That was my realization that I'm currently a mortal and this could end. So you go through a, a, a whole mix of emotions but um, you've, and you've never dealt with them before. Your wife's never dealt with them before. Your kids never dealt with them before. So now like, how do you uh, reconcile this? I have no idea, mate. It was just an absolutely horrific time and and somehow you've just got to get through it and hope to God that you're going to get a second chance or some kind of a chance to um, get back to your feet mm-hmm. because we didn't know how I was going to be in 10, 12, 24 months. You know, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And in terms of what happened, I mean, I, I've got some recollection of where my father was in hospital having sustained a stroke and I remember the doctor saying at that point the first I think tw- I'm sure they said the first kind of 24 hours is kind of the most kind of crucial is that is is, is that the that the case with you or yeah it kind of is the most crucial because the impact on the brain can be really dramatic very early on and that's when all the interventions have to occur so if they can intervene quickly and resolve the cause of the blockage or the bleed, then um, then brain is being saved immediately. Mm. So in my case, again, this bleed, although it did um, have a massive episode, it stopped. And then it settled down. Um, so they were happy that it had uh, stopped. It had done its thing, and then it, it had stopped. Now we're not sure why it had stopped or how it had bled again, but it, it just had. And then what happened was, um, as they monitor you, they just try and make sure that you've got all your faculties about you. You know, they ask you questions, they do this, they do that, touch here, feel there, push this, do that. And after three days after this second bleed, they were quite confident that I was once again okay, but. Um, though I was definitely not out of the woods mm. and they, they needed to operate is what they wanted to do, but they couldn't operate because the blood clot was so large that it was interfering with the MRI scanner and it wasn't allowing them to see the actual blood vessel that had created the bleed. Mm. So they wanted to operate, but they were concerned about whether or not they should operate because they might find something more sinister like a cancer mm. And then they may have made a mess of things. Mm-hmm. So they said, we've just got to wait. Yeah. And you, and you guys have got to be diligent. And because I did have some capacity to speak, you know, respond and say all the things, enough things that they needed to, then they were comfortable that I wasn't in danger immediately of um, having massive trauma, which was not able to be recovered from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the body, and, and I guess there was a kind of gamble point there where they had to um, trust the body's natural ability to heal itself. 
over a period of time so you so they could then get a clearer picture as to what is going on under the bonnet so to speak uh, which was obscured from view by the sounds of it in those first few early days after afterwards so yeah 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 so what happens is they said that and when they sent me home the first time they said look these things bleed we often see a lot of people with a bleed in the brain and sometimes they bleed once and they stop and very rarely do they bleed a second time. Mm-hmm. So now that it bled a second time, they were like, well, the chances that it's going to bleed a third time are extremely rare. So these things normally stop bleeding and then the blood goes away, you heal and everything comes back and you're okay. So they were pretty comfortable with the whole environment and situation. But of course, I wasn't allowed to drive and you know, do anything strenuous, all the standard stuff. And they said, look, we'll monitor it and it'll be fine. Now, in the meantime, I left the hospital that I admitted myself into for the first two bleeds and I went to another hospital um, because a friend of mine knew a neurosurgeon who uh, was, ended up being my surgeon, who was amazing. And she did uh, something that really made me feel at ease. She was amazing. She she ordered weekly MRI scans for the first couple, then Mm -hmm. fortnightly and then monthly and then three monthly. So she had a really clear picture by about the um, by about the tenth month as to how stable the bleed was, and it appeared to be very stable by now. Mm-hmm. So she was really calm about it and comfortable, and she said the likelihood that it will bleed again is very rare, and if it does bleed, um, the chances are that it's not going to be too catastrophic in that you're probably going to experience what you did after the second bleed. Mm-hmm. And we're okay with the way the onset of that and we're okay with the whole process. So as you said, then the, blo- then the body starts to deal with the blood clot and starts to decrease it in size and break it down. And as it did that, everything started to come back. My ability to function, speak, you know, drive, all the numbness had gone. Everything that I considered to be abnormal was gone. Mm. And around, and around uh, nearly, nearly 30 months later, so almost three years later, I was back to my, my old self. And feeling a lot better as a result. Yeah. You know, I had, changed a lot of things i'd stopped smoking i'd stopped drinking um i had um started to work less hours i had started to give my work to other people and just manage the jobs rather than be at them mm-hmm. quote them and do all the paperwork and all that um i had uh started to you know shed some excess weight i had just become a, a better version of myself mm-hmm. and for the first time in a long time a little while later i started uh, I started bike riding, went for my first bike ride and um, felt really good. And you know, the following day when you wake up from a bike ride, your body aches and everything hurts. Mm. I, I, this next day, I never experienced any of that stuff. I felt really good and I was going to work. And on the way to work, I had an appointment to get to with a client. And when I got near there, I started to feel a burning sensation on my left side, like I'd been sunburned. And um, I was driving, I pulled over, 
I got out the car and I walked around the car to see what I'm feeling, you know, to notice what's going on. And this burning sensation kind of went away. Just, I thought, oh, well, that's weird. It's gone away. No problem. Mm. As soon as I got back in the car and sat down, the burning sensation came back and it occurred to me that perhaps something else is occurring, you know, another bleed. So I've jumped into the car, drove myself to the hospital, uh, went to triage, called my wife and said, look, I'm just heading to the hospital. I'm not sure exactly what's wrong. Something's going down. Uh, and when I got to triage, I said to him, look, I think I'm having another stroke, another bleed. You guys need to admit me after. Um, they argued with me for a little while because I wouldn't give them my details because I was trying to hurry them up. Come on, hurry up. Like, get me in there. You know, something's going wrong. Um, they got me into CT and they realized that I had another bleed mm-hmm. and the same bleed, the same blood vessel had bled again. And now, um, and now the um, risk for me was quite high that things could go pear-shaped. Uh, a bleed could happen while I was driving. Yeah. Um, and my surgeon came to see me. She said, we've got to go in now and there's nothing else to do. We've got to go in and repair this and get rid of this faulty blood vessel. So that's what we did. One of the single biggest factors in ensuring that you continue to remain positive and have a positive outlook on life is to get around other people with that very same mindset as you. People that are going to encourage you, cheer you on and celebrate your wins along your journey. That is the reason why I've created an exclusive group of like-minded people who can be found at the Positive Impact Movement Facebook group. Whether it's a new business venture you have in mind, a side hustle, advice on your morning routine, fitness, mindfulness tactics or even goal setting, this is the place to be to mix with others who have a growth mindset. People that are looking to make a positive impact on themselves and those around them. Check it out, the Positive Impact Movement Facebook group. There was no other option, I suppose, at that point than to kind of take the the kind of drastic action of going in and repairing it and sorting it once and for all, for want of a better word. How, yeah. what, what were you kind of feeling as that kind of sort of sunk in that actually they're going to have to do something kind of quite invasive in order to, in order to kind of resolve it. Yeah. So it's definitely, uh, scary. The bleed was four centimeters in from the ear Mm. near the cerebellum. Mm -hmm. And I had to get a, get through a fair amount of brain to get there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how they get there. I don't know whether they like push things away or whatever, but, you know, somehow they get to that bleed and they cauterize the blood vessel and it was the only option because the alternative was was not good. Yeah. So what I did was I was actually quite comfortable with it by then and I was ready for it because I had done a lot of work on self, myself, on my, uh, on my state of mind, on my physical body. I had, you know, started becoming extremely healthy you know, focusing on what I ate, shed some weight, um, you know, meditation. Um, I've, done, I've done everything to control myself. I've been to counselors, mm-hmm. coaches, you name it. I did everything that I could possibly do that was in my control so that when I got to um, surgery, I gave them the best version of myself that I could so that they're dealing with uh, the perfect patient, so to speak. Yeah. 
you'd done as and much as I you was, could to stack the odds in your stack the odds as much as you could in in within the things in your control in your favor that's it that's exactly what i did and that approach i think made a big difference in the long term and how i'm feeling today you know 7 years after this the beginning of this whole thing mm-hmm. um but it also put me in a state of mind where I was able to allay the concerns of the people around me. Because the, the hardest part of this is not me. It's dealing with everyone else, my wife, my kids, my mum and dad, mm-hmm. you know, and all the, all the doom and gloom people that come and see you that I just are that way just because that's how they are. Yeah. So <laughs> um, if I was losing my shit, uh, then it goes pear-shaped everywhere. Yeah. So I was really calm and collected. Now, one of the issues, one of the things we didn't expect was that literally 10 days before my surgery, my mother-in-law passed away. And that just messed up everything for everybody. So we weren't expecting it. She was unwell, but she wasn't, you know, somebody who we thought was going to pass away. She had a heart attack and died. Mm-hmm. And now my my wife had to bury her mum and had to prepare for the brain surgery of her husband mm. who let's face it has some risks to it and may also not wake up or wake up completely different to what he was when he went in mm. Mm. that is it must have been an extremely stressful time for your wife and you know because that is a kind of duck that is a kind of double whammy that no one, you know, it's up there with a list of worst nightmare situations really in terms of kind of what could, you know, what could go wrong. Uh, bad luck comes in threes, but you, there's two, there's two straight away, isn't there? Well, there's, you've had three, <laughs> three yourself, but there's, but you know, yeah. And, yeah. Abs, ab, and that was one of the things I was going to ask you, uh, Bill, is just how, how you kind of, you've touched upon, you know, self-care and looking after yourself after the first, first, first two strokes that you had. How do you, how did you kind of start to get into that kind of positive mindset? Because that's something that listeners to this show will, you know, be desperate for me to ask you, how did you stay kind of positive throughout this experience? What kept you going? What kind of made you get up in the morning and kind of just keep kind of plugging away and yeah, so what I did was um, I didn't start, I didn't set out to become this, you know, guru of myself. I set out to become better at business, make more money, you know, uh, find strategies that worked and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and that was great because it was kind of the beginning of this journey into self-discovery. And a lot of the coaches that I had were business coaches at the beginning and they were all about it was not, there was no business coaching, so to speak. It was all about, okay, so you know, how are you getting in your way of stopping your business from growing? You know, like how does that thought and, you know, those words stop you from becoming a better version of yourself when you're running your business and communicating to your clients? And it made me look at my words. It made me look at my habits and my behaviors and where they came from and why I was even speaking that way. And what was interesting was I used to do the old, um, oh, I can't run my business out of that place or I need a proper office and oh, they're never going to take me serious. And oh, who am I? You know, I'm just Bill from, you know, the northern suburbs. Mm-hmm. You know, no one wants to do work with me. 
And when I realized that I was being, that I was in the way of my own, uh, of my own progress, uh, it was a, a massive, it was a massive time for me in my life because it was kind of like, wow, so I was really the one that was in my way the whole time. How can I change that? And what I noticed was it's the same energy that you use to put yourself down. You just convert that and you turn it into energy to pep yourself up. Mm -hmm. And it is not about saying uh, words that are great and just saying the words and not believing them. It's starting with the heart. It's starting with checking into the heart and noticing what's important to you. So for me, what was important to me for my business wasn't to be the biggest and the best. It was to supply food and a house for my family. Mm. And it was to be a better version of myself as a dad, to be a good example, um, to maybe create something that I could bring the kids into. Mm. And when you're running a business from that perspective, instead of making money perspective, it, it's a totally different version of running a business, but it creates the same outcome, mm. which is money. But what it does, it does that better, better and it does it in a way that other people resonate to better. So my clients really started to love me. They really started to call me back a lot. And I had relationships for 10, 11 years with some of my clients. So it was me just paying attention to myself. And then what I learned in business, I was able to use in my personal life. But it meant that I had to be brave to touch into emotions that I'd never dealt with before. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is the key for me. It was, I had to be brave to open up and share my deepest, darkest fears and concerns about who I am, what I am, my life and everything. And once I did that and noticed that actually when you express that and you become better at, at um, being kinder to yourself and when you let go of things, uh, a, a weight is lifted from your shoulders and it's better on the other side of that than it was on this unknown side, which I was afraid to tap into. Mm. Yeah. And, and when I finally tapped into it, I realized that that was the same path that I needed to go down to support my mindset and get myself healing from all the emotional stuff so that when I'm focusing on stroke recovery, I'm not doing it from a, I'm not doing it from this point of pushing. I'm doing it from this point of flow. Mm. And that's what came. It just came flow. And everything that felt good, I did. And everything that was amazing for my body, I researched. And everything that I could impact, um, I took action on. Mm. Mm. It's very interesting because I, I speak to a number of the guests on this show and there is – often a theme that kind of runs through it in terms of just getting out just getting out of your own way getting out of your head taking positive action taking steps towards the person that you want to be and people sort of often say well isn't that just trying to change yourself and I'm like well no it's not it's kind of it's been a better version of yourself it's not saying okay we're going to chuck away all of the stuff that makes joe joe or all the stuff that makes bill bill it's kind of it's actually saying right okay this is the way joe is or this is the way bill is but what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, an area or a number of areas in your life and say okay 
I could improve this area here. And quite often what happens, and you see this a lot with people, is that one area will improve and typically for a lot of people it's generally fitness. They'll get them itself into shape, then they'll find out that suddenly they get a promotion at work. Then they'll find out that their relationship begins to flourish. Then they'll find out that they meet the woman or the man of their dreams, depending on what whether they're a guy or a girl sort of thing. But it's a kind of like a, it, it has a knock-on effect to every single aspect of your life. For most people, um, when they have a kind of life-changing event, whatever that life-changing event could be. So, uh, some people, they don't. Some people have life-changing events and they kind of, it, it, it kind of, um, they take the kind of what I would say the, oh, life's too short, I don't care anymore sort of thing. But the lady I spoke to recently regarding trauma, she was a neuroscientist and she was saying about the about this element of post-traumatic growth, which is I'd not heard of very much until the last probably six months, but all of a sudden you're hearing it a lot more in terms of kind of the medical community actually saying it is a thing as opposed to post-traumatic stress. So. Absolutely. There's, it's the opposite of post-traumatic stress. Mm. And, and it's exactly what you said. You've got to get out of your head. Your head will convince you a thousand times over in a space of a, a, a split second why something is terrible, bad, the worst, this, that, the other. If you can quieten the head and just connect to your heart and then tap into your gut and just check in with your gut and see, you know, because your gut instinct will drive your heart. And vice versa, the heart will drive the gut to tell it what to do. And if you can get out of your head and allow yourself to listen to those intelligences, because it's, it's known now that the gut is called the second brain and the heart is called, you know, uh, a brain in its own right. And, and the reason they call it that, and it doesn't look like a brain, and I know it sounds weird, but they have neurons in there, the same neurons that appear in the brain, you know, oxytocin, serotonin, all those feel-good hormones start in the gut. Mm. Um, they are used by the brain. Um, the heart has up to 130,000 neurons. People that are young at heart have more neurons in their heart than the guy who is hard-hearted or has no heart or is described as heartless. Mm. Guys like that have 30,000 neurons you know, in their heart. And this research is vast and there's a lot of it. Now that shows how um, uh, how traditional uh, how religious traditions from the past, you know, Buddhism and all that kind of stuff, how they talk about chakras and all these places. Like they were onto something. They weren't just talking about this stuff and had no idea what they were doing. So, for people like me, I had to learn these things. I went and learned about the head, the heart, the gut, and I understood how they all influenced and supported my well-being. Mm -hmm. So, so when, I, when I realized I was a head case, it wasn't a surprise that my blood vessel in my head burst. Yeah. yeah. I know people might be grasping with the concept that I'm saying now and thinking that's bizarre, but like these words that we used, you know, I was gutted when something went wrong. I was, you know, I followed my heart. These, these are not words that we made up. They're cross-cultural. They're used everywhere. And there's an amazing book that I read, which was really what started me down the path of this self-discovery and healing called M-braining, using your multiple brains to do cool stuff. And it was cool, and it was written by a guy called 
Grant Susalu and Marvin Oka, two guys, Melbourne guys, and they've trained it all over the world. And there's coaches that coach people into this self-discovery and actually getting you to talk to and connect to your heart and your gut. And these things that I discovered came at the perfect time because my brain had switched off. So mm. I had to tap into something else, call it my wisdom from somewhere else. And what I found was my heart was really coming alive and I had never experienced that. And I was feeling these strange sensations around my chest and I thought they were anxiety or this, that or the other, but it wasn't. It was just um, me being guided by my heart and me being gutsy and taking gutsy action to resolve my own issue and also having the courage from my gut to take steps to overcome this massive challenge, which was brain surgery, which mm. was just about to happen. Mm. You know, and then not only that, that led to Joe, me being super convinced when I woke up from surgery and realized I couldn't walk, being super convinced that there was nothing going to get in my way that I was 100% going to walk again, use my arm again, get back to work again, do all these things. I was going to restructure my life. I was 100% convinced. And the doctors had booked me in for two months of rehabilitation. I was home in four weeks. I was driving within two months. That's incredible. That is incredible. You know? But they talk about you. I do uh, affirmations and visualization in the more in typically when I get up in the morning. And I've heard somebody say before that that when you work on your subconscious brain, when you give it a command, it goes to work on making that on making the thing happen that you want to happen. So in your case, it sounds like you were hundred percent convinced that you were going to make a full recovery come what may, and and that happened because you're yeah. because because you're because you're carrying your your brain is even in its kind of damaged state if you like has given a command to your body to right let's get going we're going to get this we're going to get ourselves fixed here sort of thing yeah bill and i made light of the lead up to him discovering he had sustained his first stroke not least because his was a typical bloke response but it underlines Quite a serious point. If you suspect that you or someone else is having or has had a stroke, you have to seek medical attention as soon as possible. Fortunately, it didn't have fatal consequences for Bill, but that isn't always the case. So the one thing I want people to take away is, if in doubt, get down to the hospital as soon as possible. Bill is quite chilled in talking about it now, but it doesn't take away from what must have been a terrifying time for him and his family. Having said that, Bill's story is amazing. This is because of how Bill took full ownership of his own recovery and made sweeping changes to his life, health and mindset. He went to work on himself and became a student of the mind and body. Because of his massive change in mindset and self-work, by the time of his third stroke, he was able to have the foresight and positivity to visualize himself walking again. He retrained his brain and visualized walking again 10 days before he actually swung his legs out of his bed for the first time. It's no surprise that he halved his predicted recovery time as a result. What an inspiration. Make sure you check out episode two of my discussion with Bill 
coming up soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill and make sure you connect with me and Bill. You can contact him via his website www.recoveryafterstroke.com and you can also link up with him on Instagram and Facebook. I want to say a big, big thank you for supporting Positive Impact, listening to the show and being part of this movement. We are now 11 episodes in and I am uplifted by the support I've had from all of you that listen each week. Conversations such as this one really do have the potential to change lives. I'm genuinely motivated and fired up by you to do what I'm doing here. What I do gives what I do here gives me so much meaning knowing that if one of you take just one piece of information away that changes your life, I will have made a difference. If you like what I'm doing, please go out and share my message. Share this podcast, leave a rating and review and reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram using the hashtag improve yourself, inspire others. It's so important that you leave a rating review if you like what I'm doing, as it means more people can find our podcast and benefit from the information we uncover with guests. I want to say a big hello to my listeners in the USA, UK, Canada, Singapore, India, Australia, Italy, and Israel. And most of all, please subscribe to the show as it means those good people over iTunes push the show up the rankings. I love to hear from my listeners wherever you are in the world. So ping me an email if you like, joe at positive-impact-movement.com. And rest assured, I'll respond to all emails I get from listeners. Until next time, go out into the world, make a positive impact on yourself and others, and most of all, improve yourself, inspire others. Thanks for listening to the Positive Impact Podcast. Improve yourself, inspire others. To get involved, check us out at www.positive-impact-movement.com.